hello and welcome back to Earth Like Heaven. My name is Doug Ressler, and joining me as always is Robbie Sherry, and we're here to help you close the gap between heaven and earth in your life by learning to live like Jesus. Robbie, today uh, we wanted to kind of take a personal uh, turn and talk about suffering and um, yeah, how, how we respond to that, not just from a philosophical uh, angle, although that is important to think through, but what happens when it gets personal? What happens when you go through an experience of suffering and like, like some of the things that we've seen, like what happens if you know people who tragic things happen to them like an earthquake or tragic things happen to them in a flood or, you know, um, there's a there's a shooting and they're kind of caught up in it as bystanders or something along those lines. I mean, that's where this gets deeply, deeply personal. And that's where, you know, sitting across from someone and having a dialogue about it, the philosophical falls flat. It does. Right. And so uh, we don't want to be like Job's friends who Correct. offer all kinds of, you know, rationale for why Job is really struggling. If you know anything about the Bible, the book of Job is really an ex- one extended long book on this question of suffering. Um, when you when you when you sit down with someone like that who's gone through it personally, Job loses everything. He loses his family, he loses his wealth, he loses it all like in a in a very short period of time, loses his health. And uh, when you're sitting across from someone like that, the philosophical just doesn't doesn't fly. It doesn't work. It doesn't. That's not really the question they're answering. They're struggling in all sorts of ways. And so, as you think about all of that, um, yeah, what where where do you where do you even start? As you're sitting across, have you? Let me ask this question: Have you in your life ever been in that experience where you've sat across from someone who's experienced something incredibly tragic in their life or faced incredible suffering in their life? And and how yeah. did you respond? Um, I think in my younger years, probably not well. Yeah, right. Sure. I mean, if I'm honest, I think in my younger years, it was probably more of a, let me use this moment to talk philosophically. Right. Yeah. Theologically and and give you the biblical answer um, and blah, blah, blah. For those of you listening, I do not recommend that. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're listening (laughs) and you're new Robbie back then, he deeply apologizes and asks your forgiveness. I'm so sorry. Yeah. No, but in more recent years, I think I've learned that people in times of suffering, do not want to be told what they should be feeling mm-hmm. or what they should be doing. Or I think a lot of times people want to be, they want to be understood. They want to know yeah. that they're, they're okay. Mm-hmm. And I think it takes usually a little bit of time before the questions start to come. And I had a good friend in Bible study this last week ask how to determine the difference between uh, sort of the the chaos of this world that causes our grief and suffering versus God's discipline. Sure. Which is right. kind of the Job right. friends' questions. You know, right. they kind of get to that point of, well, you must have done something. I was say, that's where they go. They're like, to yeah. upset God, right? right. Like, like right. what did you do, Job? And he's right. going, no, I, I yeah. didn't. And right. so I think that is a question for for all of us. We we sit there and we stop mm-hmm. and we, we have that choice to make. Do we go Job's friends route mm-hmm. or... Or do we sit and empathize? And I think that difference between sympathy and empathy is important in those moments. Yeah, I'm thinking of, in particular of a of a family that I sat across the table from um, after Hurricane Katrina. We we were my wife and I. We served a church in Mobile, Alabama, when Hurricane Katrina hit. Um, and our church, our little church down there in Mobile, Alabama, amazing church, Overlook Presbyterian Church. Uh, they did an awesome job of staging teams out of Mobile because we were sort of on the eastern edge of the storm where you could still like Walmart and Home Depot and Lowe's were still open and had things. And so we were kind of the city that you like could stage those teams out of, take materials, go go west into 
you know, Mississippi and all the way over to New Orleans to try and help out and assist as people were rebuilding their lives and some of those kinds of things. And to sit across the, you know, the table from someone and, and listen to them share their story about what it's like to lose everything, right? To, to right. come back to your house and, and it's been scraped, essentially. All that's left is a foundation. And, um, or, or, you know, or, or the tragic loss of life, mm-hmm. you know, that so many people experienced. Those kinds of things. I mean, I've had, as a pastor, to sit across the table from people like that. And yet, like you said, one of the things I learned early on in ministry, I mean, I, when I started full-time ministry as a pastor when I was 29 years old. And a lot of times in those early years, as I was navigating those conversations, I always tried to like answer the question that they sort of were asking, but that's not really the question that they sure, were asking, right? Sure. They're just trying to process and I'm still sitting there trying to like defend God or defend, I don't, I don't know right. what I was doing, right? Um, because of my discomfort in the situation. And gradually as time went on and as I learned, you, you really begin to just, you, you want to hear what's really behind the question. Right. What, what's, what are they really asking? And a lot of times, don't even feel the pressure to give an answer. It's okay to like just sit and let them process out loud. Exactly. Let them ask their questions. Let them you know, get angry with God. God's a big boy. He can handle our anger. He can handle our frustration. He can handle it when we, you know, curse him out or, you know, give him the finger or whatever it is that we're going to do. Right. I mean, he can handle all of that. And it's actually okay to like give people space to do that and Mm -hmm. to verbalize that. And I've learned to do that over the years and just actually encourage people to do it. Like, Hey, like God knows what's going on in your heart. Just be real. Right. Let's just be honest. And again, God is a big enough God to where those kinds of things don't scare him. They're not threatening to him, you know, that, that kind of thing. And that, when, once you can kind of get there, then I think the door starts to open for some deeper level processing. Sure. Once they kind of, once someone who's gone through something like that really is able to share how they're feeling and know they're not going to be judged for it, know they're not going to be condemned for it, but, oh, no, this is actually someone I could process with. They're able to do all that. Then eventually, after all of that kind of, you get past that first phase, you get into a second or a third phase. That's where the deeper, the deeper level stuff yeah. comes, you know. And so what are some of those deeper level questions as you... Well, I was going to say, yeah. for me, it's probably a little different. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm a teacher sure. at a high school, and I, I deal a lot with divorce. Sure, right. And I know this sounds funny, but like the, the ACL injury. Right, right. Like when, when 14 to 18-year-olds come to you, right. it's, you know, their world is, is crashing around them. A lot of times it's mom and dad have had the uncomfortable conversation with them, you know, Hey, could you guys sit down for a sec? There's something we need to tell you. Right. Or their knee blew out. The season's gone. Right. And in the former scenario, like divorce, this, the really sad thing on some level is the, is the fact that we don't even consider that traumatic anymore. It's so common. Right. Right? Like we, it is traumatic and it, it is for sure. But societally, there's a sense in which like, oh, it's it's just normal. So why should you even be impacted? And yet, of course, children oh, yeah. are, parents are, everybody is. Anybody who's been around and been walked anyone through divorce yeah. knows how painful it is for everybody involved. Our society wants to say, oh, it should be painless. It's just, you know, you're just going your separate ways. No big deal. Blah, 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 blah. But no one who actually goes through something like that believes that or actually yeah. experiences it that way. But I was curious, or very few, I should say. On your side of the, the table, do you... I'm guessing you you deal with death more death, and probably yeah, like the yeah. cancer sickness. Yeah. Well, and and um, the the really I mean again the really tragic stuff. The very first funeral I did here at Pepsi uh, when I first got here almost you know 14 years ago now was for a young woman who was in her 30s who had a six year old son. She was kidnapped from Parker, taken to the Western Slope, and murdered. Wow. 
not a member of our congregation, you know, not, gotcha. not a believer, right. but, but just someone in our community. They needed a place to do the funeral. They called us up. We do that. We love yeah. offering that as a service to our community. So her friends and family gathered. And a couple of them got up to share about this woman's life because uh-huh. I didn't know her, right? right? And so they get up and they talk about all the parties that she went to and how she dressed mm-hmm. and how she was a beautiful, I mean, I guess she was a beautiful woman. Yeah. Uh, and how she was kind of the life of the party and she was kind of the, the, the funny drunk on some level. Uh-huh. These were the stories they told, right? Right. As they're all trying to like, and, and their, their goal, their stated goal for their friends, for the, these friends of hers, was to get to the stagecoach, which is a bar down in Franktown, as soon as possible. They didn't want the funeral to last more than like 15 minutes. And wow. so then that's when I had to step in and say, well... We're going to talk a little so, more. So right. here's the thing. Not to be philosophical. <laughs> right. Uh, I, we need to do more than that because there's a six-year-old child in the right. equation. Right, And he just lost his mom. And dad's totally out of the picture, like this single mom raising this kid. And he has nothing. And so we're going to do something for him. And yeah, so we did yeah. this thing. And pretty much when I got up to speak, I spoke directly to him the whole time yeah. about what is it like to lose a mom? What is it like to feel afraid, like you're alone in the world? All of those kinds of things. And where is Christ in the midst of that? Yeah. Um, and I don't know where that kid is today. Again, that's 14 years ago. So now he's probably 20 years old, you know, 21, who knows? I don't know what life looks like. Hopefully, right, those words brought a little bit more comfort to him sure. than what he was hearing from his mom's friends, which was, you know, basically meaningless, you know, yeah, you know, so I, you know, th- that's what you got to do in those kinds of situations. Well, I was going to yeah, say, yeah, that's so. not the time to tell people not to say it exactly, but I, so in, in my world, when, when a kid comes and talks about mom and dad separating, usually it's separation mm-hmm. and then the divorce is finalized or something like this where I can't go is I can't say, Oh, I know how you feel. Right. Because my right. parents are still, that's right. My parents are still married. That's right. Um, and when the kid says, you know, I blew out my ACL and now I, I'm afraid for my college. Right. Yeah. I, I've college, never my, blown my out dream my ACL. of college athletics is over. So right? I, yeah. I don't in those situations get yeah. to say, yeah. I know how you feel. Right. But what I've learned is when the tragedy strikes at the personal level, I think people want to, they want to know that someone still loves them. Yeah. Still cares for them, regardless of the crisis. They they want to know that they're that's right. They still matter, um, and so I found that listening is good, yeah. and just encouraging them to go and you know, tell me about your folks. Yeah, tell me about you know what it's been like and what's your, what's your favorite thing about mm-hmm. them, and and to get them to talk. And after a time, I think when that rapport is built up, then the questions may become. That's right. And you know, if God's such a loving God, why why would he allowed, you know, both of my parents are Christians. Why would, right. why would this happen? Or, yeah. um, if God cared about my future, right. Why, you know, all it was was yeah, a God, silly little play and my, my right. ACL band snapped. Right. If God has a plan for me to prosper me and to give me hope in a future, right. like Jeremiah 29, 11 right. says that I've got on my t-shirt. Yeah. Now I just have Tommy John surgery and I think my pitching career is over. For the record, it is on his t-shirt right. and there's a double like thumbs up <laughs> yes, on it for those of you exactly who can't right. see it. That's right. Yeah. My, my Christian gear. That's right. That's right. Um, yeah, no, it, um, it is. It's, it's, I find that when, you know, at first blush, when you, when you walk into these situations or a, a kid comes into your office and says, Robbie, my parents just told me they're getting a divorce. 
oftentimes the first question that that, that gets verbalized is why would God allow yeah. this to happen? But that's not really the question they're ans- they're asking at the, in that moment. And that's where you have to really, that's what I had to learn is that you have to listen for what, the question behind the question or mm-hmm. what's really going on there. And what they really want to know is, is this a safe place for me to process this? Um, are you going to listen to me? Um, am I alone on this journey? Is that, am you I going to be okay through this? And am I going to be okay? Yeah. I yeah. mean, and, and as long as you can communicate all of that, even non-verbally, right? You don't have to say much. Right. It makes a massive difference. And then, like you said, after they've kind of verbally processed a bit, after they've wept a bit, after they've cried a bit, after they've grieved a bit, I mean, some of you know these natural processes take place, then, yeah, there's going to be some deeper level questions. And if you've done it well, they'll probably come back to you because you're the safe person. You're the person that they can come back to and they can right. say, okay, so help me understand like now from a maybe a theological perspective, right? what happened here? How could God allow it? Which is, again, right, the question that, pressed, that Job really presses, right, is God allows it. He, as opposed to As God opposed to doing it, it right? Yeah. And that's really... Now, Job, if you don't know the book of Job, the book of Job is the oldest book in the Bible. It was written first. That's right. what a lot of scholars believe, is that it's the oldest chronological book. And... It's really fascinating to think about that. Like the very first book that's written in the Bible is not Genesis. It's not like how did this whole thing came into being, right. although that was early as well. It's why are we suffering? That's where the Bible begins. Right. Why are we suffering? And of course, Job's answer is, well, God is sovereign. God rules over everything. And yeah. within God's sovereign will, he allows certain things to take place. Yep. And he gives the enemy, the accuser, the Satan figure, right, in, in the book of Job, certain free reign right. to do certain things. And, and oh, by the way, the book of Job never tells us why God does that, which is really, really hard for us because we want to know why. All right. And for those of you who don't know the book of Job, the book of Job is the earliest book in the Bible that was written. It was the first book written chronologically before Genesis. And it's really fascinating to think about that where the Bible begins is not with why did the universe come into being? Sort of a philosophical question, but really more of a much more personal question. Why am I or why are we suffering? And Job sort of charts out this way of thinking about suffering that says God is sovereign, God rules over everything, and within God's sovereign will, he allows certain things to happen. And um, and of course, Job's case, those certain things that he allows to happen are pretty extreme. Right. And you're never given an answer as to why. It just is on some level. Yep. And Job's response at the end, which God affirms, is humility, submission. Mm-hmm. He doesn't need to know why. I mean, one of the things that's always interested to me, you know, is that, you know, I get this a lot. You know, people will tell me, oh, yeah, you know, when I appear when I before Jesus, I got a whole list of questions for him. And in the back of my head, I'm like, I, yeah, I, like I get that. Like I, I probably do too. But here's the sure. thing: like when we get into the presence of Jesus, I kind of think like our questions aren't going to matter anymore. I think so. Right? I agree. Because yeah. that really is the promise. As you think, okay, from Job, the first book written, to Revelation, the last book written, what, what, what happens in that narrative? Where, where does the Bible go with all of this? Of course, the Bible project, you know, tells this story of a God who writes every wrong. Right. He's and, Emmanuel. That's right. And rolls God back every bad us. thing that has ever happened. And and then is with us in the midst of it, never leaves us, never forsakes us. And at the end of the day, he 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 brings everything to completion in perfection and glory and beauty in a way that um 
yeah, somehow resolves every tension that we could possibly have yeah. in our lives, which is, I mean, I can't fathom that on some level from this, from my point of view where I stand in this world today, but that's the promise of scripture. That's what, right. that's what God says. And that's, that's not the lead right. when I'm, when I'm talking to somebody, Correct. but I, right. I think what you said is right. People, they need a time of grieving, of being angry. And I, I say the exact same thing, mm-hmm. like God's big enough. Yeah. And at some point I think it's okay to, to yell and to scream and to be upset when you read the Psalms. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. There's all kinds of David. stuff going on you, you know, there. Sure. You, you get these from characters in the Bible. I love, right. I love just the honesty of scripture and that. And eventually what I, what I do with young people is I say, just, just write down, write down whether it's a question you have about God right. or, or like an angry statement, yeah. you know, just, just write it all out, get it all out of you. And then, then we'll just go through these one at a time. And, and like you said, ultimately, the question comes back to typically ones of like, how, how can this be good? Mm-hmm. And this, it really, the question is, I expect a good life. Right, right. Why is my life not as good mm-hmm. as what I was expecting in mm-hmm. the comparison game? And, and I right. think those, when you get, at least young people, you've dealt with much older people yeah. in this, but when you can get to that there's not a gut lot of, level question. Right. There's not a lot of difference, honestly. When they I say, mean, no. you know, I want to know that my life means something, mm-hmm. that I matter, and, and if this could happen to my parents, mm-hmm. or if this could, what's to say it won't happen here? And I think that's the critical juncture, because if a, if a kid chooses at that time that it doesn't matter, mm-hmm. then they can go off the deep end. And that's where right. you see sort of, generational sin repeat right. itself right and to lean in a little bit and just say hey let's i'm all just walk through this with you mm-hmm. tell me why you're mad what did you expect mm-hmm. at at what point did you believe that you were immune to whatever the thing is that's causing the pain and suffering right and why do you think you don't you know you're exempted from that right and then then we get to then we get to the real stuff. Then you, well, that's exactly right. That, and to kind of, time. And to kind of wind back to what you just said there, like when you talk about people like saying, you know what, I don't care. They kind of go off the deep end in the generational sin. There we're not talking about like natural disasters. There we're talking about like what you were saying before, like divorce. That's why right. so many children of divorce get divorced themselves yep. on some level is because there's a, there's a, 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 they haven't done the wrestling, the full wrestling in themselves to try and come to some kind of conclusion as to, especially Christians, how to think faithfully about these issues, right? Right, And and so because mom and dad maybe were Christians and got divorced and we're like, well, okay, so I guess, you know, we don't think about it from like a biblical perspective. It's just more life experience perspective. And so then that becomes an option that comes onto the table. If I run into trouble in my marriage, well, right. I'll just bail and then I'll go, you know. Yeah. And I'm, I don't want to be flippant because I don't think people, not a lot of people that, at least in my experience, no one I know, and I th- I'm thinking back now over 20 plus years of full time pastoral ministry, I haven't, but maybe once or twice, run into a couple that are like, oh, it doesn't really matter. Let's just go ahead and get divorced. Everybody is experiencing oh, sure. pain. Every- sure. it's, it's a hard process, it's, it's a hard very journey. Very deep in there. But on some level, it's still an option down there mm-hmm. if you've not fully like wrestled with your family of origin and the issues that go back and all of those kinds of things versus say a, a someone who, you know, their family going back generations always stayed together through thick and thin sure, and really hard things as well, whether it was addiction or whatever it might be, mom and dad stayed together and, 
And and so they get into a marriage, and for them, divorce just isn't an option. It's right. just not something that they're going to choose to do, regardless of what society may say or other Christians even well, might say. I right. would say for me, even watching watching people go through cancer, yeah, there are those who, from what's been modeled to them, what they've learned in the scripture. Right. Um, I'm thinking of a friend of mine. Her name's Sharon, and she she got the breast cancer diagnosis, mm-hmm. and you you would not have known based on her demeanor yep anything this woman leaned into the lord and would be would ask you how you're doing first like you would right. you would go to her and say hey, right. you'd want to do that how would you be robbie how are you how sarah she you know and he'd be yeah. like, whoa, whoa no 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 i'm supposed to right we're supposed to be somber here right, i'm supposed right. to ask right, you right, you know right, how right. the cancer treatment's going because i know it's miserable right and i'm ready to be miserable with you and yeah. it's like so i've watched people with cancer sort of lean into God and just kind of go, well, it, the Job response, he gives yeah. and takes away. Blessed be yeah. the name of the Lord. Right. And if this is my right. time, this is my time. And if it's not, wow, is God going to be magnified? And you see that lightness of spirit and then you see the opposite. Right. And so again, when you're, when you're, I, I just know for me when like my wife's had a blood clot and mm-hmm. we like the doctors, like if you had waited much longer, you would be, you know, single right mm-hmm. now. And when, when you go through those periods, I think the more you've been around people and witnessed them sort of lean in and run to God, whether it's in anger or frustration or in fear or in sadness and just go, God, I'm hurting right yeah. now. That, that for me is what's, what's allowed me to do that in my own life. I suppose it yeah. was modeled. I have oh. seen it and mm-hmm. I've seen the, the alternative and man, I just, Jesus is better. Well, that's exactly <laughs> right. And so let's let's tag that right now because I think one of the things that we want to do is give people like, and this is a good time to do this, give people some resources on how, as we're going throughout this, these questions, right? Sure. Give people some resources to sort of draw on, right? So like a takeaway, right? And I think one of the, the, the first things I would tell people to do, the first things that I do encourage people to do all the time um, is don't wait for the crisis to try and find God. Right. <laughs> you know, there's a sense in which, uh, it was Brother Lawrence who talked about practicing the presence of God, right? This sense in which drawing near to God each and every day. Why do we spend time with God each day? Is it because God's got a list up in heaven that he's sort of like, okay, Robbie got his quiet time in today. You know, it's only like 46 <laughs> I like minutes. It, I like that we call it a you know, quiet time, too. Right? I mean, you know, 46 minutes of nothing in. or whatever. But you know what I'm saying? Like, like, why do we do that? Why do Christians, why have Christians throughout history, why do Christians even today, why sure. is it sort of, such a point of emphasis to say, hey, we need to spend time in God's Word every day, we need to spend time in God's in prayer every day, we need to spend time with God every day. Why? Because we're trying to practice a rhythm, we're trying to create a rhythm in our lives and practice this presence of God so that if and when the time comes that we're in crisis or that something really horrible happens or something really good even happens, either way, we have done such a good job of preparing ourselves yes. that then we have all kinds of resources to draw on versus, and unfortunately, I think this is too often the case, we treat God of like a just break glass in case of emergency kind of deal. And, and so then we go into crisis and all of a sudden, like I've even had atheist friends who are like, well, you know, I just, you know, this thing, my, my, you know, my, my parents just died tragically or my sibling just died tragically or whatever happened has happened. Right. And you know, where was God? And I'm like, well, you don't believe in him. You don't believe in him. Right. And they're like, well, but you know, and I'm like, well, 
No, seriously, like you, you have spent an, an entire, on some level, lifetime ignoring him, not, yeah. not believing in him, holding in him at like arm's length, like all these things. Why do you expect now in the crisis to experience him? He is with you. I believe that. Yeah. But why do you think that you'll be able to sense his presence when your entire life has been like a denial of that, you know? Um, and so that's really fascinating to me, like in the, even in the human condition, even for people who are not believers, people who are atheists, agnostics, whatever, pagans, whatever, there's still when they hit these crises, you see it all the time on the news, right? Like newscasters, yeah, even right. in secular societies, a natural disaster happens and people are like, why could God allow this? And I'm thinking to myself, that is such an interesting question from a secular world right. that wants to deny God's existence in every other place, you know? And it's like... Yeah, like, and so this this is where, like, on some level, like, I sympathize. Like, for instance, like, with, you see this this question pop up, like, with school shootings all mm-hmm. the time, yep. right? A, a, a school shooting takes place, and one of the questions that invariably gets asked is, where was God in this? And then the invariable, like, sort of sn- uh, knee-jerk Christian response, like, well, you took God out of the schools. Right, well, right. okay, we all know that that's, like, a superficial, again, answer. That's the wrong way to, where to go with that. But on some level, there is some truth to that. When you decide as a society that we are going to pursue a secular vision for right. life Push that God doesn't include God, yeah. doesn't mean that God isn't there, but we're going to say we're going to keep him at arm's length, then when you go through suffering, you, you can't blame God for not, like, not being there. You have right. purposely chosen to push him out of your life on some level. So for, again, one really practical way for people listening to this podcast to begin to prepare themselves for the time when suffering will come, and it will come for everybody in some kind of way, shape, or form, is to practice this presence of God, to every day put themselves in God's presence. Every week, be with God's people in worship. That's why we do these things, right? I mean, Such a good reminder. You're not not reading the Bible and praying every day because... You are getting on God's good list, right? And you're you not do, he's giving because, you credit for homework, well, you know, participation too, like, grade well, in I've, heaven. I've read the Bible, right? And you go, yeah, yeah. So have I, yeah, right. <laughs> and I, and but it's I'm still reading the Bible. <laughs> but people go, I, I read it. You, you, you sort of never finish. That's right. That's right. Like, yeah. And, and but to read that is to yeah. practice the rhythm, and it's yeah. amazing how, depending on where you are in life, mm-hmm. the you know, the word is active. It it speaks That's right. to you. And I couldn't agree with you more. So you said practical resources, number one, establish right rhythms yeah. of the power and presence of God uh-huh. prior to the crisis uh-huh. so that when the crisis comes, yeah. you're equipped for sensing God's presence and leaning into his word for those for that comfort that you seek. What's what's another one? Well, I yeah, I would say that it, just building off of that, you know, it's it, it's understanding the resources that are present to you and for you in God's word, right? I was just talking to someone about anxiety just this weekend, right? Talking to this young guy about anxiety. He has all kinds of anxieties. Not, not, I'm not sure where he's at in the faith. I just met him, so I don't, know quite, I don't know quite where he's at in the faith, but we're talking about anxiety. And I said, you know, he was asking me, he's like, well, as a pastor, like, you know, what do you do with anxiety? I said, well, the, the Bible says that I can cast all of my anxieties on Christ because he cares for me. Yeah. And he was like, well, what does that even mean? I said, well, number one, I said, I have to believe that Christ cares for me. Like, like I have to believe that that's a true statement. I have to experience that. I have to trust that. 
Yeah. Um, and, and I said, the reason why I, I, I do believe that I do trust that is because for, you know, almost 30 years of my life now, I have been intentionally following Jesus, intentionally been around God's people, intentionally had my life impacted in so many positive ways because Christ cares for me. I've actually experienced the deep, deep love of God on a very right. tangible level for years now. And because I know that and believe that and trust that, when I run into anxiety, yes, I can take that anxiety and give it to Christ and trust that he's going to do something with it. doesn't mean that I won't experience it. I do sure. experience anxiety. I'm just as susceptible to it as the next person. But I can actually do something with it. I can take it somewhere. I can, you know, give it to Christ. And and for, and I said, if you've never, if you don't, A, know that Christ cares for you, you're, you're not going to trust him with it. Sure. It's going to be impossible for you to trust him with your anxiety because you, you're not sure. Right. So you got to, yeah. you got to settle that first. And then, and then secondly, you got to understand that this is not just like a one-time offer from Jesus. Like it's something that you can, right. it's a, he becomes this, this, this resource that you can draw on when you're facing anxiety. And that yeah. was, you could, you could just start to see the wheels turn. I mean, again, we, we, it was not a, a long conversation. It was sort of a brief conversation, a brief moment in time on some level, but, but it was a really interesting conversation with this guy. Yeah who is, again, struggling with all kinds of anxiety. I said, I said, Christ is a whole lot better answer than your anti-anxiety meds. Well, it's interesting. You know, that you, you not that I'm that against up. medication, but I'm, I just said, sure. you know, it, it, it's, you're not making yourself, you're not availing yourself of all the resources that you've got yeah. if Christ is not a part of this solution here. Well, you said, you know, and I brought up divorce with young people, yeah. that yeah. it's sort of ratcheted down yeah. at some level in right. terms of our societal's reaction to it we're trying so hard to make it normal we think of death and Mm -hmm. cancer devastating sicknesses uh massive natural disasters and all this but you bringing that up just reminds me like probably more of our listeners on a day-to-day basis in terms of personal suffering and dealing with it are thinking of things like depression suicidal ideations anxiety anxiety Mm -hmm. these sorts of things and the answer is still the same right it's but it's interesting to me in terms of our, the reaction from society where we, mm-hmm. where we place those things, and it's it's true that the depression epidemic and the, the anxiety and all this, it's when, when people ask me about that and they they say, well, I'm I'm and young people granted say right. it all the time. They say, well, I'm depressed. Yeah, and you have to sort of thread that needle and kind of go. Right. Are we talking clinical kind of right? Or did your boyfriend just break up with you and right. you happened to get a poor grade on the test you didn't study for or something like that? Yeah. But to but to tell them like, yeah, there's all kinds of medications and, and these sorts of things, but the answer the answer is Christ. It has to include it has to include that on It has level. to include and, mm-hmm. and while we're talking about like when you're listening, you you don't always get there immediately. You're wanting to mm-hmm. listen to the pain and get to that, but I'm always flabbergasted that it seems like that's the last place yeah. People want to turn. Yeah. And when I just go, the reason for my joy isn't because life is always happy. Right. The reason isn't because everything's gone swimmingly well and I've never experienced, you know, a- any of these, these tragic events. It's the right rhythms. It's leaning into a God. It's the, the faith history that I have with looking at how God's ushered me through those times. The, I mean, you said it from, Psalm 23 to Matthew 28 to, Mm -hmm. 
you know, revelation, going back to, going back to even Genesis, God's promise is, lo, I will be with you always. That's right. Right. He'll, he'll walk with us through that. And that, that is what brings about the peace that Paul talks about. That's right. And to not be anxious about anything. Right. That's right. And it's, it's difficult to communicate that to somebody who's, whose faith is either nominal or not yeah. genuine. They go, well, where's the, where's the peace that God promised? Or yeah, where's the, right. where's the comfort that he, doesn't the, doesn't yeah. the Bible say God will comfort me? And you well, yeah. And I think it's available to you, but it, it's like you said, it's the break glass in case of emergency rather than having that be a familiar language to you so that when the crisis occurs, when the, the well of depression starts to suck you down, you have that to bank on because he ushered it through you, ushered you through it in the past and you can trust that he'll do it again in the present and in the future. Right. There's so much here to talk about. Let's uh, let's put a pin in it for today and come back to it next time. And we'll keep this conversation going, Robbie, because I do think this is ultimately when people are asking these questions about, yeah, why does God allow these things to happen? What we're talking about now is really where most people want to get to. Where is God in the midst of this? How do uh-huh. I draw on him for strength in some of those things? And so we got some more to talk about with that. Well, thanks as always to Jake Lanier. And Billy Cole, those guys that are helping us, uh, Jake Lanier, actually, uh, and Billy Cole, those guys who are helping us uh, mix and match and put this thing together, making us sound good. Please keep listening as we dive deeper into what it means to follow Jesus in the weeks and months ahead. We'd love your comments and love your reviews on whatever platform you choose to listen to your podcasts. Stay subscribed and to tune in as we release more episodes and make sure to share it with your friends. We'll talk to you next time.